Um, I want to just explain why I hurried up to the lectern at <coughs> the uh, end of the last uh, session. It was because what I want to talk about this morning, and that I've been given, uh, is from the book of Ezekiel. Neil was not allowed to answer this, but do you know what Ezekiel's name means? God strengthens. And Neil just prayed about God strengthening us. That's why I hurried up to that. God strengthens. And my uh, verse today is from Ezekiel chapter 37. You'll be pleased to know it's not another Valley of the Dry Bones sermon. Um, <clears throat> it's uh, the least, uh, a less well-known part of it. And I'm not going to read it to you. I'm just going to give you the background and then I really feel it links in so much what I want to share with you this morning. If you keep notes, write this down as the heading. Uh, but today's talk, My True Identity. My True Identity. Ezekiel was a priest and prophet at a time of great national and international upheaval and turbulence. Very relevant, isn't it, in our current situation? And he used, very often, um, prophetic symbolism to share what he felt God was saying to the people. And this prophetic symbolism came in many forms. I said to Neil last week, one commentator calls it pantomime. All right? Oh, no, he didn't. <laughs> but actually, uh, there was a serious side to this. It was him using symbolism to share what he felt God was saying to people. He did some strange things, some wacky things. He didn't grieve when his wife died because he felt that God wanted to use that as a prophetic symbol. He uh, removed his belongings from his house, dumped them outside, and knocked a hole in the wall of his house to symbolise uh, <coughs> captivity. He used boiled water to symbolise destruction of Jerusalem. He wrote on a tire. Uh, and he did all sorts of things. He even feigned muteness one day uh, as part of his prophetic ministry. And in today's story, he takes two sticks. He writes on one stick belonging to Judah, and on another stick belonging to Ephraim, to Joseph, and all the house of Israel. So he has these two sticks uh, in, his, uh, in his hands, and he joined them together in his hand to prophetically show the uniting and reunification of the two kingdoms of Judah and Israel into one. So that's the background to it. And he describes the characteristics of this united nation that he was prophesying about. He said they would have a new identity, a king and shepherd of the Davidic line. They would have worship at the centre of their lives. God's presence would be God with them. They would belong to God and they would have an everlasting covenant of peace. I'm leaving the everlasting covenant of peace because I think somebody else is going to be talking about it. And then at the end of this prophetic <coughs> session and section, he brings this wonderful, wonderful promise to this united people. And here it is. If somebody could put it up, it is verse 27. I'm going to have it in two versions 
for you. So all the NIV, hopefully, and also the message. Here we go. Okay. I'll live right there with them. I'll be their God. They will be my people. That's the message translation. And the NIV, which I prepared for, says, My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God. And they will be my people. So that's God's promise, prophetic promise, through Ezekiel to this new nation. So what's the relevance to us today? Some people use this to talk about ecumenicalism. There's even one cult that believes this is God saying that their book is going to be joined to the Bible and make one true book, where the rubbish that is. God's word cannot be changed and added to. But the truth is, we need to look at it through New Testament lenses. I went to the uh, opticians recently and my I needed stronger lenses. So will you take off whatever lens you've got on now and put on this New Testament lens and see what God wants to say to us about this passage, which I'll read to you again. My dwelling place will be with them. I'll live right there with them. I will be God their God and they will be my people. Jesus talks constantly about the kingdom. Um, <clears throat> Matthew refers to it as the kingdom of heaven, and Mark and Luke as the kingdom of God. And if you look through the New Testament, there is a regular reference to this whole matter on the subject of the kingdom. Jesus spent three and a half years talking and teaching about it. If you look at Paul, he says, I will live with, Mark, with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. That's in 1 Corinthians 6. He actually quotes this verse and uh, <coughs> refers to it. Peter says, What? We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. What's the next bit? Anybody know? Belonging to God. Belonging to God. Well yes. That they may declare the praises of him called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Links it again what we've been looking at this morning. Darkness and light. We've been transferred from the darkness, kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You've got a new identity. That's what Paul says. That's what Jesus talked about. New identity. Just as Ezekiel prophesied that they, this one nation, would have a new identity. Once you have not received mercy, now you have received I quoted the other one earlier on about rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. And I love this verse. This is Titus. Paul writing to Titus. Our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from our wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. You, 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 me, we are his very own. We belong to God. He owns us. I belong to God. With all the rubbish that's going on in the world, isn't that wonderful to rest in that promise that we are his very own? Eager to do what is good. Let's finish it off. So, that's the kingdom. 
And who are the citizens of this kingdom? Who are the people that belong to God, his own people? Those he lives with. Well, St. John's not here because he loved the quote of this. The shorter Westminster Catechism tells us who are the citizens of this kingdom. Apologies for the old language. The whole number of the elect that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one under Christ. The head thereof, and is the spouse, the body, the fullness of him that filleth all the Lord. The head isn't that. It is a lighter one. In simple terms, men and women have been called out of the world to give their allegiance to Jesus. Does that make much more sense to you? You don't need a heavy theology, really. We are the people called out of the world to give our allegiance to Jesus. That's who we are. The ecclesia, the Greek word for church. And how many billion do you think there are currently in the world today who give their allegiance to Jesus and who are alive? 2.4 billion of us in the world. Isn't that wonderful? We're not a small family. We're not a small kingdom. And that doesn't take into account the billions that have died and gone to lead Jesus and all the billions that will follow him subsequently. So we're part of that wonderful, wonderful kingdom, that church. The church is like a company of citizens rushing from everywhere, called out by the trumpet call. So that's where we are, that's what we're part of, that's our <coughs> identity, you know. And I want to share with you, and I've done very well in the first uh, ten minutes to give you the introduction, what Ezekiel uh, prophesied would be the uh, characteristics of that new United Nations, because they are the characteristics of the Ecclesia, the Kingdom we are part of. And here they are, five. The first thing is, we have a new identity. They have a new identity, they become one nation, having been two separate kingdoms. A national identity and patriotism and pride and loyalty is very, very topical at the moment. This tragedy in Ukraine, you see these people so patriotic about their nation and belonging to it. Their identity is much more important to them than anything else. And a lot has been talked about in terms of what defines one's identity. And the word identity crisis has come into our vocabulary in the last uh, 30 or 40 years. But identity is very important. Let's not deny that. And Christians have, in a sense, two identities. I pause there because you might say, hey, I'm not schizophrenic, am I? But we have, in a sense, two identities. One is our natural and national identity through birth, circumstances, and personal development. And that's very important. I've often shared with you about our family, particularly when the grandchildren were young enough, uh, how competitive we used to be about our national 
identity when it came to big sporting events. The World Cup, or the Rugby World Cup, or Cricket World Cup, or something like that. Uh, I worked out that we've got seven nations in our immediate family that uh, they would have different loyalties to. And the funniest thing was, when our grandsons were very young, they used to, within two seconds of the result of an England-Wales match, the phone would ring. And I'd say to them, you know what that is. One of the grandsons, particularly, well, with England as well, teasing Pam about the fact that England So national identity is very important. And where we're born and where we come from is very important. But we have a much more significant identity. And that's what I want to just focus on this morning. It's given to us by God when we have a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. When you encounter Jesus, you have a life-changing new identity given to you. I don't know all of you this morning, but has anybody here this morning in this present room, 12 of you, talked any about this? Because this is at the heart of the Christian message. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a new identity. It says in the Bible that we are born again into this new kingdom. Jesus said to Nicodemus in the most famous passage of scripture in the Bible, he says this, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. Paul writes, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. Be the new birth into this new identity, into this God kingdom. And I think it's so important that we do not allow all the disrepute that this title born again has got, particularly the other side of the pond. We are born again people! Amen? I'm sorry about the people who misinterpret and rubbish and give this a bad and tainted uh, image. We are born again. That's why we're in the kingdom of God. The truth is that our true identity is the second one. Our real identity is the second one. The one that we would So that's uh, our first thing. Our identity is new, just as those people knew a new identity. Listen to this from the message Ephesians 1 11. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are in. I'll say that again. It is in Christ that we find out who we are, our identity, and what we're in. So if you want to know God's desire for you, it's to know who you are and what you're living for. It's found in Jesus. So the first thing is we have a new identity when we encounter Jesus. The second thing is that in this kingdom, they were promised a king and shepherd. Now this is a prophetic picture that was fulfilled 500 years later when Jesus came to fulfill this promise. They said he would have a Davidic 
line. And we know that Jesus came from the Davidic line. They would have a king and a shepherd. And it says that they would have one king and no divided loyalties. Relevant to that equality because they were um, two kingdoms united. We have a king. We may have a natural queen if we're British, but we have a king who is the king of kings. He wants our undivided loyalty. He is worthy of it. No other king is worthy of it. All other kings have messed up. They've messed up. Well, true. That's why he mentions the Davidic line, and Jesus came through the Davidic line. We have the perfect king and the perfect shepherd. The great shepherd. The chief shepherd, it says in Scripture. And this shepherd combines authority and power with his loving care, protection, and tender heart. You know the kingship of Jesus at the end of your life, you are. And you we also know his wonderful care, compassion, loving heart. So we, when we become transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, we have a new king and a new shepherd, the perfect king and shepherd. New identity, a king and shepherd. Thirdly, Ezekiel said they would be a people, a united people of worship. He talks about their sanctuary being at the centre. And the best message says this in verse 26 I'll make them secure and place my holy place of worship at the centre of their lives forever. God wants us to be a people who are secure and a people that are worshippers. Dave Tan will love this. He wants us to have a culture, a lifestyle that's centred on worship. Oh, that's a bit of a dull response. That is what you're designed for in the kingdom of God. Not to have a good time. Not to do things necessarily, but to be a worshipper. Croydon Jubilee Church, God wants us to be worshippers first. Not doers first. He wants a people to worship. And worship isn't singing four songs on Sunday morning, even if you like them. It's more than that. It's a lifestyle that God desires us to have. So in his kingdom, we should be a people of worship. True worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. This is what he said to the woman at the well, Jesus. He said, this time is coming. Oh no, then he says, and has now come. With Jesus, <clears throat> this has come. The time of true worshippers in spirit and truth. I just want to go back to that word because there's a wonderful sense of security in this lifestyle of worship. People look for security in all sorts of things. Worship is a security. 
and spend so much time in the presence of God. They know their identity. They know their strength comes from Him. So the challenge is this morning, are we people of worship? First and foremost, may that be our aim and objective to be people of worship. Fourthly, they were to be people, this new kingdom, that would enjoy and experience God's presence. It says in the message, I live there right with them. Do you know, do I know this morning, an ongoing awareness of the presence of God in my life? Or are you one of those people that seems a bit distant? We have an excellent discussion about this at life recently. How we can have a perception of God's distance. Do you know God as present with you? If you're in this new kingdom, he is resident within your heart, within your life. He indwells you. It says he will dwell with you. He's a presence to dwell with you. And we need to be aware of that. You know, people say, God, you know, he's, he's out there looking after the, uh, the universe in this vast billion galaxy universe. No, he's, he's there, of course he is. But he's actually there, present in my life. We need to live in the good and the power of that. He's not distant. His dwelling is here on earth in the hearts of his people. So number four, we are a people that know, experience and enjoy the constant presence of God. People out there looking for God. He's here, ever present. And finally, the fifth thing about this uh, <coughs> new kingdom was that they belonged to God. This is where I might get carried away a bit this morning, so stop me if I do. I believe that this is a critical, critical thing for me and all of us to learn. They will be my people, he said. Do you know that you are one of God's people? Do I know? one of God's people. The dictionary defines belonging as this. It's the feeling of security and support when there is a sense of acceptance, inclusion and identity for a certain, for a member of a certain group. Now this is the secular dictionary definition. It's when an individual can bring their authentic self what belonging in the English dictionary means. Do you know this morning that you are graven on the palms of God's hand? Your name, Neil, yours, Gary, your name is written on the palm of God's hand. Oh, oh, isn't that a secure place? Doesn't that mean belonging? That's what belonging is all about. I'm getting carried away already. I am indelibly etched into God's family tree. Do you believe that? Your name's etched into God's family tree. Oh, what a privilege. Whoa! And do you know what belonging is the antidote to? This is for somebody here this morning, I believe God gave me. Listen, 
The longing is the antidote for fear. If you're fearful this morning, just know that you belong to God. I'm not being simplistic. I'm being biblical when I say that to you. Are you anxious? Are you fearful this morning? You're etched into the true and glorious God family tree. Your name is written on the palm of God's hand. You belong to God. And where does this identity come from? Why do we know it's so important? Because it derives from God's heart. God loves you. That's why he wants you to belong. And here is something that I think is so important. If you remember nothing else today, remember this. Pete Stanley wrote a, a poem one day and had a line in it saying, God's heart is where I belong. God's heart is where I belong. So this morning, do you know that you belong to God? And do you know for certain that you belong to His heart? We live dangerously when we try <coughs> to find our identity in anything rather than in the fact that we are children of our Heavenly Father, heirs of God and beneficiaries of eternity. It's not what we do, but who we are that's important. It's a very sad story that I mentioned the other day to uh, <coughs> our life, of our, a missionary doctor who went abroad full of what he was going to do for God and had a breakdown. He came back and as he prayed and thought and analyzed what had gone wrong, he wrote a book. And the core of this book was that he got completely wrong. Mm. It was what he was going to do and what he was going to uh, <coughs> carry out, what his ministry was going to be. He lost sight of the fact of who he was in Jesus Christ. And he wrote a book to try and help other people not fall into that same pit. The thing that matters this morning, this kingdom that we're part of, our identity is found in Jesus alone. 164 times, I'm not a sad person who looks these things up, but that's one time, 164 times in the New Testament, it says that we are in Christ. Isn't that wonderful? When God says something, that means that you've got one. You need to hear I belong by faith of God's Son to the Creator of the universe. That's the basis of my identity. I'm a child of the living God, an heir of God, and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. There I mean, I've preached my sermon. Half an hour, not bad, really. But what I want to do is this. I want you to stand with me, and if you actually, in your heart, know this is true, I want you to <clears throat> say after me this wonderful declaration about who we are and our true identity. So let's stand, and then I'm going to hand over to Neil, and we'll finish with the day. But if what I said does not be relevant for you this morning, 
when Phyllis talked to me about this wonderful truth. Here we go. I belong by faith in God's Son to the Creator of the universe. Say it after me. I belong by faith in God's Son to the Creator of the universe. That's the basis of my identity. That's the basis of my identity. I am a child of the living God. An heir of God. And a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Amen.